this is Steve from Retroman Vlog, and welcome to episode five of our lockdown lowdown series in which I um, invite a few of my musical acquaintances, pals and chums along to tell us what they've been doing during lockdown and um, it's sort of like a little soundtrack of their lives, you know, or their life in song to keep us all entertained and uh, very pleased and honoured to welcome into the virtual studio uh, Mr Duncan Reed of The Boys and currently The Little well, the big heads, not the little big heads. You're the, the yeah, big we're all we're all big big heads. <laughs> Hi, Duncan. It's good to see you again. And you, Steve. That's been a while. I was just thinking it's probably over a year now. Last time I saw you was at the Hundred Club gig. Um, was it? Was it that long ago? That would have that would have been over a year because I think it was May yeah. last year, wasn't it? Yeah, because Mauro um, from the Speedways was deputising on guitar, so. That's right. Um, Sophia got very ill um, and, in fact, was taken into hospital that day. So I rang up Mauro and said, um, are you coming down to see us tonight? And he said, yeah. I said, well, bring your guitar. <laughs> <laughs> so he did, he did an amazing job. We, we, rang, we ran through the, um, the songs in the dressing room and then he got up and, and, and did them, which is a testament to how bloody good he is. But the funniest thing was we did... Um, well, that was a year ago. We did a song, uh, a song off the new album, which is called Welcome to My World. And um, I'd forgotten to teach it to him. Uh, so uh, I looked around and there was this angry face looking me straight in the eyes, literally about a, a foot away from me, mouthing, what the fuck are you playing? <laughs> <laughs> well, you'd never have guessed <laughs> no, because he would have never heard it before. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I was wondering what on earth to do, but no, he did an amazing job. He really did. Yeah, I can't believe that was just uh, all done on the night of the gig. I mean, that was some some task, wasn't it? Yeah, I mean, he had played with us, um, uh, you know, for a year or so, of course. So he had a head start, but there was still a lot for him to a remember and b to learn from scratch because the yeah. the set had moved on since he'd been in the band. Well, you know, you've got. Um, I mean, one one of the reasons why. I, I contacted you was um, obviously you've got a brand new album out with the big heads called Don't Blame Yourself, which is a great yeah. record. It's excellent. It is. And um, so what I thought I'd do, I'd, we'll have a chat about that a little bit later or throughout the course of the conversation. But I want to go right back to the beginning now, find out a little bit about your musical upbringing. And um, so tell me, what was your earliest musical memory as a kid? You know, what was, a, what was there like a little light bulb moment that so you heard or saw something that sparked you off on this musical journey? Well, you know, music was always there, and in particular pop music, because, um, you know, I grew, I grew up in, in, in the early 60s when um, the Beatles and the Stones arrived. And my earliest memory is, you know, whether it was Christmas, whether it was Easter, or whether it was just an ordinary Sunday or something, um, was being in the front room at home and all the grannies and aunties and the whole family were there. And on the TV was it was probably the NME Awards or something like that. So you had all the bands at the time, like the Beatles and the Stones and the Searchers and what have you. And of course, everybody, including my granny, loved the Beatles. They were such nice boys and uh, look at them, they're, they're so sweet. And then the Rolling Stones came on and, and my grannies and aunties hated their guts. Um, and uh, Mick Jagger was playing around with the microphone and... Uh, and mucked up all the mic stands. So when the searchers came on afterwards, the mic stands were wobbling all over the place. And uh, that made my granny even angrier. Look what that nasty Mick Jagger's done to those 
poor, lovely little searchers. <laughs> so it was, you know, it was a family. The whole family um, was always talking about pop music. Mm. Um, and so it was just surrounded by it. My mum, my mum liked it. Every, everybody liked all of that early stuff. Yeah. So was there some, what were the Stones playing? Do you remember? Or was there a song that you particularly liked from them at the time? Well, I think it was You Better Move On, which of course the boys covered late, later on. It's, uh, it wasn't a, a song written by the Stones. They didn't really start writing until a little bit later on, did they? Most of their early sets were sort of blues standards or, or whatever. And uh, You Better Move On was um, a soul song from America. Um, yeah. And I think it was that. Well, let's hear it. Let's uh, let's kick off a little uh, the episode with uh, Rolling Stones, and you better move on. You asked me to give up the hand of the girl I love. You tell me I'm not the man she's worthy of. But who are you to tell her who to love? That's up to her. Yes, and the Lord above. You better move on. Well, I know you can buy her a fancy family musical i mean you said they like music but were they a musical family not at all um apart from my dad and i didn't know this at the time um my dad was a bass player and um he hid it from me uh i think he played the double bass and was carrying it around but he also played the bass guitar uh, and i became a bass player later on when i discovered his old bass guitar in a cupboard mm. uh which he'd had there hidden away oh right so you, you sort of <laughs> Grab the bass because I was. I mean, one of the questions I was going to talk to you about, we we can cover now actually, is uh, is the bass probably at the time? You know, I mean, I don't know. I mean, it, it wasn't a particularly cool instrument, was it? You know, I, I don't remember any bands who it was always difficult to get the bass player. Everyone wanted to be. Yeah, a, no, the bass player is normally the boring git at the back. Yeah, uh, <laughs> with one notable exception, of course, which is Paul McCartney. Yeah. Um, and I think he became the uh, bass player because uh, the Beatles had three guitarists and no bass player, and one of the guitarists had to give it up and play the bass. Yeah. Um, so, you know, being a singing bass player, um, he's always been, uh, you know, one of, my, uh, one of my inspirations. He's a great songwriter as well, so, uh, so that also helps. Was there a particular bass line or anything that you liked from Paul McCartney? What was, your, was there a Beatles song? Oh, that you... All of them. 
all yeah. of them. I mean, it was unique, especially when you get get onto the later Sergeant Pepper and Magical Mystery Tour mm. period, where, when he he's really unique because he he plays the um, he plays the bass guitar like a tuba, uh, but at the same time is really really melodic, yeah. uh, and I and I really love that. Okay, pick a song from the Beatles then, one that um, would illustrate this one. The um, brilliant, the, the most brilliant bass line I think ever did was Pe- Penny Lane. Yeah. Uh, if you listen to that, it just uh, it just flows all over the place and really complements the song. Penny Lane, there is a barber showing photographs of every head he's had the pleasure to know. Okay, that's great. That's the, the Beatles and Penny Lane. And did you have any other sort of bass playing idols at the time? Because again, for me, growing up just after punk, I was sort of into the Stranglers and Joy Division. And there was a lot of bass players at the time, which were really striking, Paul Simonon. So I, there was a lot of role models as, as I started off playing bass as well, inspired by J.J. Bunnell. But probably, you know, pre-punk, you know, when you're talking about the 60s and, and that and uh, earlier 70s. No. Was there the bass players that stood I, out? Um, you know, I've, I've never been, uh, I, I like playing the bass and I like um, playing bass lines on, on records, what have you, uh, and live it's very comfortable. I've got something to hang on to um, yeah. while I perform, which is nice, but I've never been hung up about it. In fact, I once really upset, um, I think there's a magazine called Bass Guitarist, which is uh, for really muso uh, bass bassists who really get into what bass to play and, um, you know, how many strings. And um, they gave me an interview and said, what uh, improvement could you make to the bass guitar? And I said, take it from four strings down to three because it, <laughs> it would make it easier. And uh, they got really fed up with that. So, um, so no, I've never, I've never been hung up on, um, on bass guitarists. Yeah. I think Paul Simonon got it right in that it's it's important to look good. Yeah, I mean him and D.D. Ramon. I mean they, you know, the low yeah. in there and another one yeah. who looked good. I mean a really amazing bass player, especially as I, I admire him because he he also sings and jumps around a lot while playing some amazing bass lines. Is Bruce Foxton? Yes, um, I, I'm always awestruck whenever I've seen him, whether it was on early days with the Jam or later on with whatever he's doing. Um, his his the bass lines he plays live while singing some quite intricate harmonies are difficult. That's a good point because he's often overlooked as a bassist, isn't he? Although you think about the components of the jam, it was a lot about the drumming, drums and the bass. I mean, Paul, Paul Weller's guitar was often like 
quite rhythmic. And a lot of the songs are driven by the bass and the drums, you know. two musicians who should never ever be copied by other musicians because um, what they do uh, is, is a recipe for disaster but they when they do it are brilliant are Keith Moon and John Entwistle yeah and yeah. both of them overplay totally yeah um, and that's because Pete Townsend is largely just doing power chords because they're occupying all the space Mm. Um, and John Entwistle in particular is just going mad. You know, he's all over the shop. He is brilliant yeah. at what he does. But most people who would copy him uh, would just be a nuisance on a record. No, that's a good point. Yeah, I, that's true. And you picked a Who song for us, Pictures of Lily. Why, why this one in particular? Um, it was at that stage in the 60s when music was moving on. Um, it's, a great, it's a great record. It really drives and it's also really interesting um, it's it's got really intricate guitar parts, really interesting arrangement. It's just a great song. I used to wake up in the morning. I used to feel so bad. I got so sick of having sleepless nights. I went and told my dad. He says, son, now here's some little something. And stuck them on my wall. Now my nights seem quite so lonely In fact, I, I don't feel bad at all I don't feel bad at all Pictures of Lily made my life so wonderful Pictures of Lily helped me sleep Pictures of Lily So tell us about the first record you bought with your own pocket money. What was the first record you went out and bought? Yeah, I was pretty young. Uh, I think I must have been about 
eight or ten or something. And um, I just loved it. It's called Grooving with Mr. Blow by, I think it was, I think it was called Mr. Blow, wasn't it? It's just basically a long harmonica solo, but uh, I thought it was really cool. And um, I'd like to say it was something, um, you know, really, really a classic song, you know, maybe like Hey Joe by Jimi Hendrix, but it wasn't. It was, it was Grooving with Mr. Blow by Mr. Blow. That was the first record I ever bought. that's a great track you know i love it and i've heard it played recently at a few gigs and and some decent djs have played it so it might not be as uncool as you think well you know it's it's a bit of bubblegum pop um and you know there was some great other bubblegum pop at the time like tommy james and the chandelles and all of that and it's got that same kind of drum beat mm. yeah it's a great song hopefully people will rediscover that you know um and and so what took you away from uh, you know the, the sort of the pop side of things was there anything that got you more into I mean, I suppose you were, you were growing up with music just before punk exploded, but what, what, was there anything that got you into more of the adult side of rock and, rock and roll as, a pop, as opposed to pop music? I don't think I ever have got into the adult side of rock and roll. I think I've always been in love with, uh, you know, loud guitar pop music has always been my favourite. But um, one record, I remember, you know, go, going from the 60s into the 70s and going from being a child into a teenager, if you like, and being rebellious i think i must have been about 13 when it came out schools out by alice cooper and it's one of those records that just knocked me sideways a it was again loud raucous great guitars and and b uh, the subject matter was brilliant you know schools out forever of course which at the time was a great concept well it's a perfect teenage rebellion song isn't it really you know you, you can't really get any better than that you know schools out you know yeah, I don't think any 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 music is ever as powerful as the music that we're into when we're teenagers. And that's, you know, whenever I hear that, I, I feel like going and uh, smashing a school window. <laughs>
So what was the, um, the, the first gig that you went to, or that you can remember, sort of a, a good a good show at the time? Well, nobody, I mean, I grew up in Canterbury and nobody ever get, came to Canterbury. Mm. Um, actually, I think they did. I mean, there, w- there was a few prog rock, prog rock bands in the area, like Caravan. Um, I think that's what Canterbury was uh, fam- famous for at the time. And, and um, Roxy Music came as well, but I don't think my mum would let me go. And sometimes we'd go on holiday to British holiday camps and there might be a, a, a cover band there. Yeah. Or we go and see Freddie Starr or somebody, but um, it was relatively late that I started to to, to see gigs. Yeah, um, I think the, the first bands that I ever saw live that truly blew me away were the Heavy Metal Kids, um, and they they never made a record that as, was as good as they were live. And Gary Holton was just an amazing performer with so much charisma. And um, I got to know him uh, re- relatively well later on because he lived around. Um, the corner from us when we lived in 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 Maida Vale, uh, but at the beginning when they were playing places like the Marquee, just mm. amazing, really really amazing. You know they had a really rebellious look. It was very dirty rock and roll. Mm. Um, it wasn't glam. Uh, it was it it wasn't pub rock because it was far more theatrical. Pub rock wasn't at all theatrical, was it? And you know, Gary is fundamental or was fundamentally an actor. Um, a bit like uh, Alice Cooper uh, or, or Meatloaf or one of those, and he inhabited this character on stage. Right. He was extremely good at it. Yeah, because he went on to be better known as as Wayne in Alfieda's own pet. Yeah, that's right. Which was a great uh, character. Yeah. He was a very success, successful um, actor, and in fact, he was in. Um, he formed a duo with Casino Steel from the Boys after Cass had gone back to Norway, and they were huge in Scandinavia. Pick a track, then, by the Heavy Metal Kids. Uh, Probably the um, best live track, Delirious, it's called, which which is a really good track.
So, any other memorable gigs over the years of, of your gig going? Any anybody that you that sort of stands out? I think the best performer I've ever seen live, and I'm not a fan of stadium gigs, but I saw him at Wembley Stadium was Michael Jackson. I, I, I like Matt Michael Jackson records. So I wouldn't say that you know. I, I, certainly a long way from being a number one Michael Jackson fan. But again, live, just stunning. I remember another really, really, um, was it the same person, a person who had the same kind of charisma. Actually, I can think of a, a few now we're talking, but another one was Dolly Parton, who I saw at the uh, Hammersmith Odeon. And she had the ability to just turn a relatively large venue into a front room. You just felt you were in a front room listening to her telling stories and singing her songs. And then another, another person, I went to see Queen at the Rainbow, and Freddie Mercury had the same sort of ability. Mm. And periodically, he, he, he would leave the stage for a costume change or something. <laughs> and every time he left the stage, the whole atmosphere would... Um, would just fall flat when you're left with these three other relatively boring people. You know, good musicians, but, you know, about as much charisma as an orange between them. And then Freddie Mercury would come back on and you'd be off again, you know? Oh, that's great. So pick a track from, well, any one of those that you'd like to uh, illustrate. A really brilliant track um, is uh, Now I'm Here by Queen. You're not going to go for something off John Deacon's solo album or anything like that? Then? I'll give that a miss. I didn't even know he did one, to be honest with you. Here I stand, here I stand, and to around, 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 around. But you won't see me, but you won't see me. Now I'm here.
So we've established that, you know, you've um, started playing the bass guitar. And what about your own musical adventures? What was the first band you were in? Did you start up at school? or? Yeah, I was in a, I was in a band of school, but it was a load of old doodling around nonsense with a, with a, with a bunch of spotty herbits who didn't know what they were doing. And um, then I went on and there was some old schoolmates, one in particular, a lad called uh, Jim Penfold, whose uh, parents had a pub outside Hastings. And I'd travel with uh, a friend from Canterbury, Neil Aplin. We'd drive over there and uh, had a band called The Hollywood Killers. Mm. And we were actually put on at the local Hastings University by Simon Fuller, who went on to uh, manage the Spice Girls and, um, and do American Idol and all, all, all of that stuff. Oh, and I left the Hollywood Killers when I moved to London and, and fell in with the whole punk thing and, and, and joined the boys. But the really interesting thing was that after the boys, I went back with Jim and we carried on uh, for a bit with the Hollywood Killers and recorded some tracks that I thought had never been released. And then last October, when we were in um, Japan playing some gigs over there, suddenly I heard this track and Nick Hughes from the band came over and said, oh, I really like this. What's this sort of Elton John sounding track? And I, I heard it, I thought, bugger me, it's me. And it was the Hollywood Killers. And it turns out that the record was released in Spain and then the vinyl single had become an underground hit in Japan. Oh, God. So, and you didn't yeah. know about it? I didn't know about it until I went there. Well, actually, I sort of did, because, but um, I was a bit arrogant because before the tour of Japan, uh, a fan over there wrote and said, you know, when you play here in Japan, you should play No Joke by the Hollywood Killers. And I thought to myself, well, you know, that's very polite of him, this silly little sausage. He's obviously uh, uh, a super fan, but clearly doesn't know what he's talking about because if we play... Uh, if we play No Joke, nobody will know what it is, and we might as well play any other song they ne they've never heard. And then, bugger me, we get there, and everybody knows it. And in fact, for one of the gigs in Tokyo, we had to play it twice. We learnt it and played it, and had to play it twice, because it went down so well. Oh, fantastic. You should have got Maro to play it at the 100 Club. <laughs> <laughs> that would have topped it off. Well, should we hear that? That's a, that's a, that's a nice. Yeah, one. yeah. By all means, it's a good song. Let's let's play Hollywood Killers and No Joke.
So that was your first sort of recorded song, was it? That was your first foray into the... No, that, that, that was actually recorded after the boys' first stint. So when did the, the boys first call it a day? Something like, I don't know whether it was 80 or 81 or whenever it was. And then I played with the Hollywood Killers for about a year and we were huge in Kensington and Chelsea amongst all the um, rich girls who lived there. Yeah. <laughs> and um, it had, became a, you'll see from the clips on YouTube, there's some live clips and we became a really, really good live band. And we used to do proper gigs. We supported the Lords of the New Church at, at uh, one show. Yeah. Had a really interesting sort of uh, poppy doors sort of mixture sound, a little bit psychedelic. Mm. And um, as I say, played some proper gigs and also played all of those um, balls, uh, you know, around uh, Sloan Street and all there, the Barclay Square Ball and all that. And then one time we played in a convent uh, to all the uh, 13-year-old convent girls who invaded the stage and the nuns had to haul us off the stage and, uh, and rescue us. sort of um fall in with the boys and and meet up with them and yeah it's um it's a tale i've i've, I've told a few times so uh, apologies to uh, people who've heard me before but uh, when i moved to london i got a job in a t-shirt factory um and it was jack black the drummer in the boys who got me that that and the foreman which is just the most amazing thought it w- was um john plain and uh, he heard that uh, I was a bass player and Jack was a drummer. And he said, oh, you know, come round to this place on, on Sunday um, because there's a band there that we're trying to get together and we're going to call ourselves the boys and we need a drummer and a bass player. So I went round to this place, which is 47A Warrington Crescent on, in Maida Vale. And it was a lit, tiny, tiny, tiny four-track studio that Matt Dangerfield had. Um, and I think they were they were running it off off electricity from a cable that was hooked up to the lamppost outside. <laughs> and um, the people that I met there that first Sunday, I think, included Mick Jones from The Clash, Tony James, uh, Billy Idol might have even have been there. Uh, and, and this was before anybody was in a band. Nobody was in a band. The Clash didn't exist. The Generation X didn't exist. 
And I think over the weeks, you, you know, Steve Jones from the Sex Pistols dropped by and Brian James from the Damned and what have you. So before anybody was in a band, people were sort of congregating on a Sunday and just playing, jamming, mm. except what we, we'd play the intro to Slow Death by the Flaming Groovies for about four hours at a time because nobody was good enough to get past the intro. <laughs> um, this was probably what, the London SS time, was it? That, well... That era that they say that was... Everybody went through the doors of the audition for this London SS, the most famous... I don't know really whether the London S ever really existed. Yeah. Um, I think there was a band that uh, Mick Jones had in his head that was called the London SS, and, and, and for a while in his head, Matt Dangerfield was in that band. Yeah. But whether they actually ever did anything apart from play the intro to Slow Death in Matt's four-track studio, I don't know. What was your first recorded song with the, the boys? Or give us an early track. Yeah, the first thing the boys recorded was a... Um, uh, I don't know if it was a double A side. It was uh, I Don't Care and So Depressing, oh, yeah. which was recorded uh, with a mobile studio in Victoria or somewhere, I think. Well, let's play that. Let's, let's play um, I Don't Care by the boys. the boys um were right there at the beginning of punk weren't they again they they often get airbrushed out of these sort of retrospectives don't they you know but you were there right at the very beginning well they do and they don't because um yeah i mean at the time we were a bit too poppy for punk uh so were, were sort of dismissed a little because of because of that although we had our fans that's for sure although the boys weren't the biggest band in 1977 and we didn't have top 20 hits like a lot of other people did when we came back, we would be the people headlining festivals in Germany and other bands that had hits in the 77 and were much, much bigger would be supporting us. Mm. And I think that's just um, a function of the fact that uh, we made some great records. And over the years, those records uh, rose to the top. Well, you're right when you said um, the boys wrote some great songs. And um, can I play one of my, just a, a classic? It's It's not... It's Brickfield Nights. We've got to play it. We've got to fit that into the sure. the episode. I mean, it's a great pop song. It is. It's brilliant.
And that was Brickfield Nights, a classic from the boys. And you're now in a band um, called The Big Heads, which started off as was more like a, a solo record, your first album, wasn't it? Um, yeah, I didn't have much choice because I didn't have a band. I sort of uh, left the boys um, unexpectedly um, and found myself on my own. But I had a bunch of songs and luckily had a, a, a friend, a, a promoter in Argentina who put me together with Tony Barber. Oh. And Tony Barber is, you know, very much a DIY home studio sort of bloke, except he's got a pretty professional setup. So he had uh, a little studio at the end of the garden of a house in Essex, in the middle of nowhere, that was originally Knox from the Vibrator's granddad's house, and that was taken over by Crass, oh. and they lived there. And in fact, uh, Penny from Crass still lives there, to the best of my knowledge. Um, but down the end of the garden, there was this studio. And um, Tony Barber and I made the record in, in that studio. Got my, my friend Vom, who played with the boys and is in De Totenhosen in Germany, played the drums. And there were a few other people who dropped by. James Stevenson uh, insisted on coming over and playing on a couple of tracks, which was really nice of him, because uh, he's a great guitarist but mainly because I didn't have anybody else to do it. And also because I wanted to do it, I played and sang uh, just about everything else. Well, pick a track from the, the first record then, one that you would uh, recommend. I think um, the most popular track on it is Kelly's Gone Insane. Yeah, I mean, we've played that before on our Retrosonic podcast and don't need an excuse to play it again, so let's hear it. I'm 
And so now you've sort of um, you've got a great band together. I know you've gone. I've seen you play with various lineups of the big heads over the years, um, but now you seem to have a, a, a settled lineup. Am I right? I mean, they're, they're, you've got yeah, a great touch bunch. wood. I hope it is because it's such a great lineup, um, and it's been stable for about three, four years, something like that. And it's just brilliant. I mean, the other three are, are just brilliant, and I uh, I love them. I love I love the way they play. And I just love the way that they like showing off like I do. Yeah. And at the same time, that they, especially with the latest record, Don't Blame Yourself, you can hear their, their influence because obviously they're from a completely different generation to me. So their influences are different. Mm. And whereas, um, you know, like on Little Big Head, I might try and play the guitar like uh, Johnny Thunders or, 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 or Johnny Ramone. They'll be trying to play it like something from the 90s or the noughties. And yeah. so it just brings a different angle to it. So tell us about the other the other big heads. Who's in the band at the moment? Well, on the drums, well, we've got two Wel- Welsh girls, one Karen Jones on the drums. Uh, all of them are met through friends of friends in, in London. She is, I think, uh, the lightest drummer in the world and um, gets really upset when people look at her and, 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 and don't think that she can hit the drums. It makes her hit the drums even harder and she can whack them. So uh, beware, because uh, she's got a bit of muscle. Um, Sophie is, is dangerous. Uh, she's a fantastic character. Um, and, and she even puts up with the fact that, uh, I mean, she, she is on my left-hand side, which is the side that's got the, the head of the guitar on it. Yeah. And, of course, I'm moving around. So the number of times I've hit her with that guitar, um, I've lost count of, but she just finds it funny, which is just as well because she's come off stage with black eyes and everything. Um, and then on the other side, um, we've got Nick Hughes, who's been and continues to be in about four million and one bands. We came across him because um, he, the role models uh, supported us at Nambucas. And when we were talking about, uh, I think after Mauro had joined the Godfathers and didn't really have the time, he'd had two children as well, didn't really have the time to be out touring with us we were looking around and sophie in fact said oh what about that tall bloke from the role models and he's got his own band the middle light men with uh with releasing records at the moment and they're worth checking out well it's great that you've got a um a sort of settled lineup and let's pick another great track that I, this is again another one of my favorites um if i may uh, bombs away yeah i think um it's one of the highlights of, of my whole career I mean, obviously you've got first time in brickfield nights from the boys but Bombs Away 
I think is right up there with with those two records. It's 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 one of those times when everything comes together and you come out with something great. I think. Yeah, it's a great single. Um, well, we can we can play it now. Let's hear "Bombs Away" from Duncan Reed and the Big Heads. obviously been touring now for playing gigs all over the world for quite some time now have you ever shared a bill um or a stage with any of your musical heroes you must i know a lot of um musicians were fans of the boys and your music so but how about you as a, as a fan yourself have you ever found yourself well, obviously I, I i was lucky enough to tour with the remotes and actually appear on stage with them yeah. uh, which which was a real thrill doing doing the backing vocals to baby i love you when they needed a bit of hand to uh, play it live which is great uh, Johnny Thunders got up and played live with uh, on stage with the boys, uh, which was cool. And Marianne Faithful. Wow, yeah, yeah. Some, some cast, isn't it? Yeah, read it, reading the lyrics to Memphis, Tennessee, while we played it. Um, <laughs> so yeah, there's been a few. Yeah, right. So do you want to pick a track from one of those, one of the sort of music? Yeah, well, one of one of the best records of all time is um, Johnny Thunders' Heartbreakers, Born to Lose. Yeah, good choice. Let's hear it.
coming into contact with all these um, people, as you have, your, your sort of uh, musical heroes, have you ever picked up a prized bit of musical memorabilia along the way? Anything you've half inch from a changing room or, a, or got anyone to sign? Or I've never managed to hang on to anything. Um, Jack Black actually kept a, a scrapbook. He, he kept all the press from the boys, but I, 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 I've never managed to do that. I've, ne- I've never, never tried to do it. Mm. Um, there would have been a few things over the years, that's for sure. Um, yeah. uh, I'm extremely plow- proud of my bass guitar, yeah. uh, especially the way it's developed, because it's a very old vintage uh, Rickenbacker. Uh, there's a bloke who works in Knox's charity shop. He works out the back making and fixing and painting guitars called uh, Philippe. And uh, he sprayed it purple for me. Oh. And then there's another bloke in, uh, in America called Randy America who did the headstock and uh, made one that says Duncanbacker. So I have the only purple Duncanbacker in the world, which is a thing of beauty. Well, they're ready to be mass produced, aren't they? Good, good merchandise. They should be. They should be. <laughs> well, actually, when we were crowdfunding the, the current album, um, I put it up there and said if anybody was willing to pay £10,000, um, then they could have it. Uh, and the money would go towards making the album, but no bastard bought it for some reason. <laughs> well, at least, at least you got the album out you know, in the end. Exactly, without flogging the guitar. But you were given um, you were given an accolade, weren't you, from your your touring and your overseas um, appearances? You were given sort of quite a, a high profile accolade from somewhere. Tell us about this. Uh... You're talking about Montevideo. Yeah, yeah, no, it's amazing. I mean, I, I, I wrote a song called Montevideo. And uh, we made a video that was partly um, shot there uh, because it's, it's a quiet town. It's, it reminds me of a, a sort of South American version of Geneva in that every, every afternoon is like Sunday afternoon and cars pootle down the road. Apart from this one bar where I always seem to get completely shit-faced and it, and it ends up being seven o'clock in the morning and I, and I don't know how. So I wrote a song about how they're all taking drugs and partying and going bonkers all the time. And the government liked it so much, they gave me a medal, which is called Visitante Illustre. It's the equivalent to the keys of the city. And uh, the only other British musicians to have it are Paul McCartney and Elton John. <laughs> well, and you're doing a great job for the tourism there, then, aren't you? You're smashing That's what they liked. That's what they liked. You know, they, wanted, uh, they wanted everybody to come to uh, Montevideo to, uh, to get shit-faced, but they'll, uh, they'll be disappointed. They're extremely nice people in, in Uruguay, and they know how to have a good time, but... Uh, it's uh, it's a quiet old town. Well, let's hear their new national anthem then, shall we? That's uh, <laughs> let's let's hear uh, Montevideo from Duncan Reed and the Big Heads.
Yeah, you must be missing not being able to tour, you know, because I know you, you sort of come alive on stage, don't you? I mean, the, the energy of the, especially the new lineup is, is fantastic, isn't it? And yeah, no, it is. Yeah, of course, uh, we're, we're all missing it. Um, uh, but there's, not, there's nothing to be done about it. So um, I'm, I'm not crying over it. And uh, it, in a way, having a break was good, although really strange time to release a record, you know, release a record when you can't play live. But there you go. Um, and uh, as soon as we're allowed back, it'll be it'll be even better. I mean, you have been keeping busy, haven't you, as a band? You, you've, I mean, some people have sort of disappeared and, and or sort of not handled the lockdown very well. But you, as a band, you've actually been pretty active, haven't you? You've released some great videos. Yeah, and that's that's been one of the the good things to come out of it because uh, with all this time, thoughts. Um, you know, I, I said to everybody, right, let's just make make some videos. Uh, and we were all separated, especially for the first one, to live or live not. I said, just just shoot some stupid stuff miming along to the song, and then we'll edit it all together. And it came out brilliantly. Mm. Um, everybody had some really good ideas. And for some reason, because it was it was back at the time of a toilet roll shortage, every, there's loads of toilet roll in it, <laughs> which um, is really funny. <clears throat> and then we just done another one of uh, the very radio-friendly motherfucker, except um, all the fuckers are edited out. So um, there's more words edited out than is left in. Yeah. Every time a fucker comes up, we put our hands over our mouths. So that's, that's worked really well as well. And then we're, we're working on another one, uh, which will be the Grim Reaper, which would be interesting because it's got a totally different vibe to it. Um, it's a sort of jol- a, a jolly little song with a very heavy lyric. Uh, so we'll see how that one um, turns out. So we can see the videos on your website. Where can people sort of um, find out uh, more about you? Uh, DuncanReadandTheBigHeads.com. Yeah. Um, I think the two, the two videos we spoke about earlier, there's a tab for uh, Don't Blame Yourself, and the videos are on there. Uh, we've also got uh, a YouTube channel. Oh, great. And you find other stuff on there. If you go to the blog section of the um, website, there's... Uh, I made these videos about writing a song where I did a daily video blog, uh, starting with a blank sheet of paper and ending up with a demo, which was really popular. And all of those videos are together in one blog on that site as well. So there's, there's, there's lots of good stuff. Yeah, well, I'll put a link up. I'll put a little feature um, to go along with the release of the podcast at retromanblog.com where I'll put all the links, um, maybe sort of put a couple of the videos up and put links to your websites and some of the bands we've talked Great. about. Great. Yeah, nice one. I can invest investigate a bit further um well let's go back to you as a as a fan um let's just go back to you as a music fan and one thing i like to know is is can you just just pick a little little bit of fun here let's pick a what you would consider a perfect example of a 45 rpm single you know a great uh, a great record 
Jeepster. Yeah, good choice. It's just, uh, it's got a great beat, it's got great guitar playing, and it's got ridiculous lyrics. <laughs> Perfect combination. <laughs> I like to write story, uh, songs with a story, uh, which is sort of in the Ray Davis sort of tradition. Everything he writes has got real, you know, like Lola, it's a story or or whatever. It's about, usually about what's going on in his life. And down the far other end, you've got people like Mark Bolan and uh, Noel Gallagher as well, who I think uh, has said at times that his lyrics don't necessarily mean anything, but they sound great. Going back to um, a single, uh, another single that I think is uh, brilliant is "Wicked Games" by Chris Isaacs. It's a oh. it's a great it's a great song. I like a good bit of Americana, um, but also it's got a sound to it that I've certainly incorporated on um, a, lo- a lot of tracks on our albums. That very reverby sound uh, I really love, um, and. Uh, we definitely used it on tracks like uh, Another City and, and that. Yeah, it's a good choice, actually. It's a, it's a great track. And uh, uh, I think, well, well, let's play that. Let's play Chris yeah. Music and Wicked Game.
Is there anything, I mean, this is very difficult, isn't it? No matter as a, how you are as a music fan, it's very difficult to pick, for me, what I would consider a classic album, you know, where the, the artwork, the production, the time, the, the sound, the song sequencing, you know, there's no filler. It's, it's very rare. I mean, I can think, you know, there's a few, like you know, maybe Parallel Lines by Blondie, never mind the bollocks, you know. Have you got any examples of a, of a perfect album? I think Sergeant Pepper is near perfect. It's only um, spoiled by a ridiculous... George Harrison Indian track. I think the second and third Ramones albums are nearly perfect. The first album would be, but of course it's, uh, at the time it was very punk, but the, the, the production's a bit rough. Uh, it would have been great if they'd had the same production values that they'd got on the second and third albums on the first one, because the songs are amazing. Yeah. Which one would you go for, for the Ramones? It would be the Ramones Leave Home. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, the track Swallow My Pride on it is a, just a great track. But they wrote so many great tracks. Bastards. <laughs>
Oh, great. Excellent. That's Swallow My Pride from the Ramones' um, Leave Home album. That's a, that's a great choice. Uh, so, um, thank you, Duncan. It's been great talking to you. Very interesting and great to see you again. And um, obviously, we're going to end on and talk about the new album. Don't Blame Yourself. Tell us a little bit about the new album and then we'll pick a track from it to, to end on. Um, 14 songs. Every single one of them a work of genius. Uh, a very varied album. Um from the very T-Rex-influenced in- uh, title track to, um, as I said, the take that influenced the Grim Reaper. Um, but, yeah, we were talking about Bombs Away and my belief that that's right up there with everything that, that, that I've ever done. And um, there's one track on it, To Live or Live Not, which was the first one we made a video to, which I think is, 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 is right there with everything I did. I think the lyrics are brilliant. They're very funny. Um, just everything about it is just uh, better than anything any, anybody else has ever done. <laughs> A bold claim. <laughs> well, let's, let's see. Uh, well, people can make their own mind up then, Duncan. Yeah. Actually, I've just, done, I've just been doing um, an advertising campaign on Facebook uh, with, with the video of it. And one of the things that happens is you, you put it out there and you get all these comments underneath, like, this is complete and utter, utter shit and all this so <laughs> there was one guy in south america who wrote what is this horse dumb <laughs> underneath the, the the video on facebook so the next advert i put out in um uh was when we put the motherfucker video out i put on the advert luckily everybody um who heard our last video thought it was great apart from ricardo ricardo vasquez of Buenos Aires, who thought it was horse dung. Make up your own mind. And then I tagged him in the advert. <laughs> Great revenge there, you know. Yeah, I know. Yeah, you don't mess with me. Well, the album's certainly not horse dung. Um, it's a great record. Yeah, I'm sure you're really proud of it. And uh, I certainly uh, am. Let's, um, and we'll play out with, with the track. But um, thank you, Duncan. It's been a pleasure talking to you. All the best. And to you, Steve. And, uh, well, let's end on um, To Live or Live Not from the fantastic new album, Duncan reading the big heads, don't blame yourself. And uh, thanks for listening, everybody. And uh, thanks again, Duncan. All the best. Cheers. Gonna rent my house out to a stranger. Gonna let them treat it like their own. Try something Gonna try a taste of the unknown I spent my whole life being safe and steady Now it's time to roll the dice To live or live not That is the question To love or love not before my time's up To lose the whole plot Let's do confession To sin or sin not I've made my mind up Gonna catch the first plane to Caracas Why go somewhere that's far too safe Go dancing to this 
nation to give all I've got. Let's seize the day. Let's stop the right. Say 